Well, hi, everyone. My name is Wayne, and I'm one of the pastors here at WS, and we're really glad that you're able to join us today for worship. If you have been with us the last few weeks, we have been in a series in the book of Ephesians uh, titled God's Master Plan. And today we're going to take a look at chapter 3, verses 1 to 13 together. Well, in the first two chapters of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has been kind of laying out this spectacular plan, a picture of God's plan of salvation. And he starts from the very beginning. Uh, He starts from the beginning, the very foundations of the creation of this universe. And he slowly works his way up through the chapters up to his present time, talking about what God is doing in our world, what his plan is. And as Paul is slowly building up this amazing story of salvation, he concludes at the end of chapter 2, which uh, Pastor Andrew took us through last week. And he says that all of this, all of this culminated in the creation of one new people. And what Paul says is that God tore down this wall between Jews and Gentiles, these two separate groups, And that in Christ, God brings peace and makes one new people out of these two groups. And it's really in this context that Paul, now in chapter 3, in light of all these great teachings, in light of all these great truths that God has done, Paul begins to offer a prayer for them. He begins to pray. And so if you look at verse 1 of chapter 3, it's actually kind of interesting Because some of us, when uh, Tim was reading this passage for us, we might have not even caught this. Uh, But look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, For this reason, in other words, in light of everything I've taught you in chapter 1 and 2, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then if you notice something strange happens in this text, You're expecting Paul to continue praying with his prayer, but Paul actually just ends. He ends mid-sentence and he goes off in verse 2 to talk about something entirely different. And in fact, Paul doesn't return to this thought until verse 14. When he repeats himself, he says, oh, oh, where was I? For this reason, he says again, And then he goes into the actual prayer that he intended in verse 1. And what most scholars tell us about this is that while Paul starts praying, he becomes moved. And it triggers all these thoughts in him. And what happens is he begins to share something deeply personal to himself. And as we'll see today, as Paul is sharing this testimony, he ends up ultimately teaching us something important about the nature of God and his plan for the world. And at the very heart of this is what Paul calls the mystery of Christ, which is the title of our sermon today. And so that's what we're going to look at today. But why don't we begin with prayer? Father, we come to your word and we ask for your wisdom for us as we look into it. We ask that you might really touch us with this passage of the privilege it is to be called your child and the wonder of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, today we'll be taking a look at three things from this passage. First, we'll take a look at the sacrifice for the mystery. Second, we'll take a look at the wonder of the mystery. And thirdly and finally, we'll take a look at the ministry of the mystery. So first, sacrifice for the mystery. Paul begins this chapter with an interesting statement. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner. We know that Paul, he was writing this letter from a jail cell, likely in Rome under the authority of Emperor Nero. And we're told in uh, Acts 21 how this happened to him. The writer Luke, he tells us that Paul, he was traveling on his missionary journeys around the Mediterranean, sharing the good news of Jesus to Gentiles. And he ends up going to Jerusalem, despite other believers pleading for him not to go, because they feared for his life. They feared that he was going to get killed. At this point in time, the Jewish leaders were set out to kill Paul, and they plotted against him. And they did this not only because Paul converted to Christianity as a Jew, but what really bothered the Jews was that Paul associated with Gentiles, people the Jews considered unclean, people the the Jews called the dogs, the dirty ones. And in Acts chapter 1, what happened is that Paul, he, he brings with him a friend, Uh, a Gentile Christian from Ephesus, of all places. And he's traveling with him to Jerusalem, and he's taking him around and introducing him to people from the church. And the Jews who are plotting against Paul, they make up this lie. And they wrongly accuse Paul of bringing his friend inside the temple, into the court of the Jews, which was forbidden to Gentiles. And it was actually that very thing that instigated Paul's imprisonment. The Jews falsely accuse him. They throw him over to the Romans. He was eventually led off to Rome, where he was thrown in jail. And so what Paul says is that because of my very ministry to you, Gentiles, I am in this prison right now. What's interesting to me is that if you notice, Paul describes himself not as a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of these Jews. But he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Why does he say that? It's, it's kind of strange, isn't it? Because from a human perspective, it would have been very easy for Paul to feel like a victim. To feel sorry for himself that he was wrongly accused and put into this horrible situation. Paul says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. God's hand was in this. God placed me here. And this was the power and the joy of the Apostle Paul. Whether he was a prisoner, whether he was tortured, whether he was stranded and shipwrecked, whatever he's going through, he says, I'm fine, I'm okay, I'm content. And the reason for that is because he was captured by something greater. He was captured by such a larger, grander, 
and more beautiful vision than his own safety and his own comfort. And he was captured by this amazing kingdom vision, this wonderful plan of God, of what God is doing in this world. This incredible calling of being a servant of Jesus, doing whatever he can to fulfill this vision of what God is doing in this world, that it completely changes and reorients his entire life. And in fact, in verse 13, we see that Paul is actually more concerned with the welfare of these Ephesians than his own suffering himself. He says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. And Paul says, this is why I serve. And this is why I can rejoice even in suffering as I am in prison, in jail. And this is why I can embrace pain because of the wonder of God's plan and purposes in this world. And so secondly, we move on and we take a look, what is this plan? What is this vision that has so captured Paul's heart? And so second, let's take a look at the wonder of the mystery. In verse 2, Paul says this. He says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. This was the vision that captured Paul's heart. And he calls it this term, he calls it a mystery. You know, when we think uh, about the term mystery in today's culture, we usually think of it as something that is outside of human comprehension. And so if there's something we can't find out or we don't know, we say, well, it's, it's a mystery. We'll never know. But this word in the original had a different meaning. And it had the connotation of something that was hidden, something that was concealed, but is now revealed to everyone. It's made known kind of like an open secret. And we're told what this mystery is. What is it that is revealed? And Paul says this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul says the mystery, the vision that God has for this world is that through Jesus, the Gentiles can become God's people and become heirs to the promise together with the Jews. And I think for us uh, living in the 20th, 21st century, it's important for us to understand how huge this is. Paul is talking about Gentiles becoming being included in the promises of God. And if you notice, he uses the word together three times, three times for emphasis. But I think sometimes we're so far removed from this reality that we take this for granted. And so I just want to take us briefly back to the Old Testament for just a bit, just to give us a picture of how big this really is. Way back in the book of Genesis, God makes this promise to a man named Abraham. And he promises to make him a great nation. 
and that all of the nations are going to be blessed through him. And what happened was throughout the years, Israel, the nation that eventually came out through Abraham, believed that the promise that God made belonged only to them. You know, they believed that they were the chosen people of God, not the Gentiles, the non-Jews, but only them, the Jews. They were always also promised the Messiah. And they believed that this Messiah was a future king to restore the nation of Israel, to make it great again. And these promises belong to them as Israel. I heard an illustration uh, quite a while back that will hopefully help us see how amazing this mystery actually is to us. I want you for a moment uh, to imagine that you, a Gentile, a non-Jew, which I think is uh, most of us here today, that we're living in the time of Israel in the Old Testament. And you're walking around and you come to the top of a mountain. And on the top of the mountain, you look down and you see the Israelites living there. And they're all living in their own tents around this big tent, the tabernacle. And so you look and you think, well, that's, that's kind of interesting. And so you head down and check it out. And you walk down the mountain and you walk up to the entrance of this camp. And you find a guard there. And you ask the guard, hey, what is this place? Who are you guys? And he tells you, well, we are the people of Yahweh. We're the people of God who of the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who actually created you. And in fact, he's the God of all gods. And this is where he dwells. He dwells with us. And so you say, well, that's cool. Can I come in? And the guard looks at you and says, you're not around here, are you? You're not from around here, are you? Because if you were one of us, you would know that this is where you belong. And so he asks, where, where are you from? And you tell him where you're from and you'd say, well, actually, I'm from Malaysia or I'm from China or I'm from Stratfield or wherever. And he would look at you and say, well, I'm, I'm sorry. This is not for you. No foreigners are allowed to come in. And so you look inside and you say, well, is there anything I could do to come in? I would love to get in. And the guard says, if you want to come in here today, you would literally have to be born again. You would literally have to be born again as an Israelite. And so you're disappointed but you keep looking around and you see something interesting far off in the distance and you say, hey, what's that over there? And the guard will tell you, well, that's the tabernacle. You know, that's where the priests go in and they offer sacrifices to our God. And behind a heavy veil is the Ark of the Covenant. And that is where the very presence of God dwells. The glory of the God of the universe dwells in there. 
And you would say, wow, God dwells there? He, he lives there? I want to go in there. I would love to see and experience this God. And the guard will look at you and say, well, to go in there, you would not only have to be born as an Israelite, but you would have to be born in the tribe of Levi. You'd have to be a priest, probably from Aaron's family. You'd have to be born in that family to go in there. Even I can't go in there. If I tried to go in there right now, I would be struck down and killed immediately. And you would look at him and say, so what you're saying is, if I only would have been born as an Israelite of the tribe of Levi and the family of Aaron as a priest, then I could go into the Holy of Holies? Then I could go and gaze upon God himself? then I can actually be in his presence and worship him anytime? Is that what you're saying? And the guard will look at you and say, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. Not even priests can do that. There's only one person who can go in there, and that's the high priest. And in fact, he can only go in there once a year. After all these elaborate preparations to make sure he himself is pure. With a rope tied around his ankle, just in case he gets struck dead so people can pull him out. And he goes in there trembling for a very short time to atone for the sins of Israel. You cannot go in there. You'll die. This God is extremely holy Sin cannot be found even near him, or you will be consumed. And so after this long conversation, you would walk away completely helpless, without any hope that you can ever know this God. But this is the mystery, that in Jesus, we who are Gentiles, we who are outsiders, foreigners, now become God's people, sharing in his promises. And what's more even incredible is this. In verse 12, Paul says, In him, meaning in Christ, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Paul saying that in Christ Jesus, we can now approach God. And not only that, we can do so with freedom and confidence. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And what that means for us today is when we come to God and pray, prayer, when we pray to him, we actually enter the presence of God through Christ. We enter the Holy of Holies. We come before the throne of the God of the universe. And as we saw last week, the reason why we can do so is because of Jesus and what he has done for us. We have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ, Paul says. And through him, we now have access to God the Father. And this is something no Israelite, no Jew, and not even the high priest of Israel could ever do. It would have been absolutely unfathomable for them. It's incredible what Paul's saying. It's an absolutely incredible statement. But finally, as we move on, we see the ministry of the mystery. The ministry of the mystery. And Paul, he was so swept up by the wonder, the glory, and the beauty of this reality, this mystery, that he gives his entire life to that vision. And it becomes for him not just a responsibility or something he's obliged to do, something he has to do, but the greatest privilege that could ever come to him. In verse 7, it says this, it says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Verse 8, he says, although I am the least of the Lord's people, this grace, meaning this privilege, this blessing, this thing that I don't deserve, was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, the reality of this mystery. And in the same way, Paul says that this privilege is also given to us as a church, as God's people. This is God's blessing to us. Paul says in verse 10, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul says that it's through us, through us as a church, that the wisdom of God, that this wonderful plan should be made known to all. And interesting, it, he says not just to the people of this world, and Paul says when the church lives out this calling, we also testify to the heavenly realms, to the spiritual world as well. Even angels and demons see us. And this is what we as God's church is supposed to do. Make known the wisdom of God. Make known this amazing plan, this amazing mystery. Make known and demonstrate the boundless riches of Christ to all. And we as Christians join Paul in this mission to make known the manifest wisdom of God and to tell and share how deep the wisdom and grace of God is. Well, I think in our culture today, and especially in this generation, there seems to be this insatiable, unending search for meaning in life, isn't there? And I think this is true for many Christians as well. The search for meaning and purpose in life. And oftentimes there is this disappointment that we feel towards God, who somehow seems to have let us down. Because in truth, so often when we become Christians, 
where we try to find happiness and meaning in life actually doesn't change that much. Often what we think is that we have this powerful ally on our side in the form of God. And this person, this ally, is going to help me achieve my purpose in life. To get the things that I believe will make me happy and give me purpose. And so often we're just thinking, how can God help me get what I want? And we get more and more frustrated when we feel like our answers aren't being, our prayers aren't being answered. And God isn't giving me what I need. Why doesn't he do that for me when he knows it will make me so content and satisfied? Why doesn't he answer my prayer when he knows that it will bring me so much joy and meaning in life? But what the gospel says is that God's transformation is actually so much deeper than that. It's not simply about this powerful being like a divine genie or Santa Claus that's going to be there and give us what we want. But actually the power of the gospel reorients our lives. And so that what was once the goals and purpose of our lives are no longer so. And the things that you once chased after and found meaning in no longer hold the same value in your life. But Christ and his priorities become everything to you. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. For those of us who are perhaps struggling with this issue of finding meaning and purpose in life, finding contentment in life, and maybe you still think that the ultimate goal is in finding the right spouse. Maybe it's having a great family, raising kids. Maybe it's having the perfect job, success, career. Maybe it's living a comfortable, financially secure life, having a wonderful retirement. And these are all wonderful things and even places where you can serve and honor God. But ultimately, those things in and of themselves cannot be how we define happiness, purpose, and meaning in life as a Christian. Because when we meet Christ and we understand this mystery that Paul is talking about, and when we see God's eternal plan for this world and how amazing and wonderful that is, everything changes. Everything. The gospel radically reorders our priorities and lives. And God is saying to us as a church, I want to give you a whole new purpose in life. A purpose that impacts not just this life, but eternity. And God is saying, I want to give you a whole order, a different order of happiness and joy that can only be found in Jesus and his kingdom. God is saying, I want you to see the magnificent vision that I have for this world. And I want you to join me and be part of that. God calls each one of us as a church, as Christians, 
to be part of what I am doing, to be part of this mystery that has been revealed to us, to be part of the story of redemption because there's no better thing in life than to live as a servant of this mystery. And Paul, he, he really understood that. And so may we live not for ourselves, but may we live as servants of this wonderful mystery that has been revealed to the world through Christ as we live it out together as his people and as his church. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word and we thank you for this amazing, wonderful mystery. We thank you that we as Gentiles can now be included in your promises to be called your people and to have this privilege of being servants in your kingdom and of the gospel. And Father, as us, for us as a church, in ways in which uh, we have not prioritized that, I pray that you may help us really see the blessing and the wonder and the privilege it is and the joy that it brings to really serve you and live as a servant of the gospel and of this wonderful mystery. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.